Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. One topic I haven't covered extensively on the program is sex. So when life coach Lori Gerber reached out to me and requested to appear on the show to talk about sex, in particular, her controversial philosophy about it, I figured it was high time we delve into this most important component of love and life. And of course, I was additionally intrigued about this controversial approach to sex because Lori states it rekindled the passion in her marriage after being with her husband for over 20 years. Here's a little bit more about Lori Gerber. Passionate about personal development, Lori has been coaching individuals and groups for over 15 years. She specializes in relationship and marriage coaching and is the number one marriage and relationship coach based in New York City. She spreads her message of empowerment through public speaking events such as the 2019 TEDx Brooklyn, live international events, one-on-one coaching, virtual coaching courses, and on radio and in TV appearances such as MTV's True Life Special, I'm Getting a Second Chance, A&E's The Marriage Test, The Dr. Phil Show, and The Today Show. Lori also hosts monthly dating and relationship webinars on Match and JDate, providing dating, sex, and relationship advice to an average of 350 listeners per month. My conversation with Lori Gerber, right after this. If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns, will target limiting beliefs and thought patterns, will learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood, will identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals, and will together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you. Lori, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Karen. I'm very happy to be here. Wonderful. So love and life, that kind of encompasses pretty much everything you do in your work with your coaching clients and with your webinars and with your brand and your platform. So help the listeners understand a little bit about you and your journey to get into this space. And then we'll tease them up that we're going to delve into specifically your controversial, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) perspective on sex. Yes. All right. So Lori Gerber, head coach, Handel Group Life Coaching. I've held many roles at Handel Group over the years. We are about 16 years in the business. Started out when life coaching barely even existed. I developed a method of personally coaching people in all areas of life. And we developed it at MIT and Stanford. Um, And then we took it out to 50 other 
colleges and universities around the world, did work with thousands and thousands of individual clients. And now finally we do it digitally through an online course and webinars. So, and, and then I've also been, you know, on the side, uh, mm-hmm. doing webinars for dating sites, doing one-on-one couples retreats. So personally for me, one of the things that was most impactful in my coaching journey, being a client was the work I did on my love life. And so that is one of my personal specialties. I came to life coaching because I wanted to do something, do something with my life. I was running a small business before I came to this profession. I looked over at Lauren Handel Zander. So if you want to know where the name Handel group comes from, it's just her maiden name. And she was living the life that I wanted in her marriage, in her sex life, in her professional life, in her parenting, in her health and body and I said, I gotta get, I gotta get me that. Like, even though I've been in personal <laughs> growth for 20 years, for some reason, I don't have what she has and I want it. So I hired her. She taught me the method. And within, I don't know, I would say between three and six months of being around her in that capacity, I knew I wanted to never shut up about what I learned because I never <laughs> want to forget what I learned. So that's the long story long. I love that it's, you had this idea and this notion that whatever you were doing, wasn't quite it, right? And so then you saw someone, you you said, yeah, like I, I want what she's got. I want to be doing life the way she's doing life. And so many of my listeners are, they're just inquisitive, they're curious, they're whip smart, and they know that they're doing a lot of things right, but they're just lifelong learners and they want to know how to do it all just a notch better and just keep yeah. growing and continuous improvement and all the things. And I love that you have that personal, like it's not only that it was grounded in what was coming out of these top tier institutions, but also you've seen it work in your personal life, which just really makes it so powerful. I think when you share what you've gone through and then hope to encourage and inspire others to strive for. Exactly. I was really actually amazed by how much formal education I had had and also how much personal growth education I had had, but nobody had ever kind of brought it all home to me, like connected the dots so that my actions and my thoughts aligned with my real dreams, like my real desires. I was good at working hard. I was good at producing results. I was good at being passionate from time to time, but I was not diligent at aligning myself up day to day, week to week, month to month. So I, you know, my marriage looked good on paper. It looked good to the outside world. It was not good behind the scenes, right? Like my parenting looked okay on the street. It was not as good at home. My <laughs> same thing with my, my diet, right? I looked like everybody else in my family, but I knew I felt like crap all the time and was exhausted and hated shopping for clothes. Mm-hmm. And same thing with my work. Like it, everyone else would have been jealous. I worked from home. I made my own hours, but I was totally unfulfilled. So it really was a huge shift actually to be held to account to make real change in my life and really admit what I wanted. And you spoke to the thoughts, which is this podcast is all about taking charge of your thoughts to take charge of your life. And my therapeutic background, I'm a big fan of cognitive therapy, which of course is just getting those limiting beliefs, identifying them and challenging them and working through them and then replacing them with empowered beliefs. And so it sounds like there's some of that that weaves its way through the uh, philosophy. 100%. And what I think one of my prevailing limiting beliefs was like, this is good enough. Like my whole, my whole life was one big defense, right? Like this is good enough. I'm better than so-and-so, that person in the family, you know, the other generations. And no one challenged me. Cause again, probably like your listeners, I was pretty successful. It looked pretty good. 
So no one ever challenged me. And I never even challenged me until I looked at this person. And I said, oh my God, how did she figure out how to have a great career and a healthy body and a great love life with her husband and parent? At that time, we each had two kids. Now we both have three. Like, how, what? <laughs> so I had to change my thought, right? I had to admit I did not know, understand everything. I was not doing everything I could be doing. I just, I had to admit I was wrong. That's a fun one, isn't it? <laughs> well, and the thoughts feel so very true because yeah. we've just continued to say them to ourselves in our inner monologue and we just keep saying them. And so then we believe them. And of course, the psych research shows that we have a confirmation bias now based on our thought processes. So I'm thinking this to be true. So I see and experience my environment such that I confirm these thoughts. So like you're saying, so if I have this limiting belief that this is good enough, then I'm going to go find examples. Yeah, that's good enough. That's good enough. And it's going to confirm my mindset, which is great though, that you did in the midst of all that, you were able to see something different and recognize it and go, wait a minute. I allowed in some counter evidence. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Which is hard to do sometimes when we, we just believe our own mess sometimes. Right. (laughs) So powerful to get out of that. So you spoke to your marriage. And so let's kind of move this toward the the sexy part of this conversation. And going back to some research, we have so many studies that show that sex is one of the number one reasons people get divorced. And yet oftentimes we're not really speaking to sex. We're not recognizing, again, limiting beliefs in our mind about sex or expectations. We haven't really had so many of these conversations, even when we've been dating for a long time or married for a long time. Oftentimes we just kind of turn off the lights and let things happen and no one's talking about it. So tell us a little bit about how you start to realize that the way that you were approaching sex in your marriage was not working and how you made some changes that apparently have been controversial, but also really empowering for you. It's so funny. I mean, it's such a simple answer of how did I figure it out? It's this very annoying assignment that we give at the beginning of any of our coaching. It's the first module in Inner You. It's the first thing we give our private clients. It's the first thing we do before we even sit down with our MIT classes. We give this very annoying assignment where you are obliged to say on a scale of one to 10, what would represent a 10 for you in every area of your life? And though I had hired Lauren ostensibly to help me build my business before she would even have a session with me, I had to say what I thought was the ideal in regards to my sex life, my health, my career, my money, my fun and adventure, my spirituality, my family. And I, that like, (laughs) it was just in that first assignment. I was like, really? Are you kidding me? How dare you? (laughs) But I did it, right? I did it. And I forced my brain to create new neural pathways to even, like you said, you know, you're married for 20 years, you turn off the light, you don't even talk about it. That's crazy. Well, I hadn't even thought about it. And I was with my husband 10 years at this point. I hadn't even thought about what my dream would be for sex or my dream for my body even, right? So in my world, as a feminist, nobody should even ask me. <laughs> nobody should even <laughs> ask me what my dream or ideal is in regards to those very private matters that involve my body, mm-hmm. right? So it's just like, <laughs> I managed to make it a political issue why nobody should touch that. Meanwhile, I was sad and miserable and lonely and, and uncomfortable and, and, and blowing my marriage. I didn't realize it until 
few more sessions into coaching, but <laughs> I was in the middle of blowing my marriage because I was absolutely not present and not dealing and then making it, you know, promoting the theory. It didn't matter. It was good enough. It was fine. Who was really even complaining? Right. So that's how I woke up to, it was not all unicorns and rainbows. I had to admit it in that assignment. And then you rate yourself, you know, if this is a 10, where are you now? And I had to give sex like a three, Yeah. you know, and love a four, you know, cause at least we were co-parenting pretty well and, you know, we cooperated with each other and, you know, body a four, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Were your kids little? Cause that's not so unusual that a, a marriage during the first couple years when kids are on the scene that the satisfaction, it, it starts to go down a bit based on the research because they're busy. <laughs> there's diapers and there's toddlers running around and the terrible twos and that sort of thing. And so, so I can understand that maybe both you and your husband kind of just went like, we got stuff to focus on. And it's unfortunately not us at the moment. It's these little beings that we just created. I've been blaming my kids forever. <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> the oldest one in the book, right? Besides blaming your parents, blaming your right. parents, the oldest one in the book, then you get kids, you know, and you can, you can go back and forth. But yeah, I mean, we, we are very familiar with human beings, most common excuses or the common culture, as I call it. And then I thought, you know, how do we, how are we ever going to evolve as a humanity if we don't question the common culture? If we don't if we don't mess with it, I want to. Mm-hmm. I don't. If I'm following common culture, I will be divorced soon, and I would have been. Well, and I love that because it's just like yeah. So the research shows that most couples experience this. Guess what? I still don't want to experience this. I don't want to be like most. I don't want to be average. I want to have an extraordinary life. I want to reach for something other that, yeah, maybe like you said, isn't common right now. Well, so <laughs> I want better. Everybody who does that pulls everyone up, right? Like not yeah. everybody has to be at the top of the curve, but if you, if you fight for something new, everybody else gets the benefit. Yeah. But the controversial part, just to, to, um, yeah. to your question, the controversial part was Lauren broke through my right to keep that private or my right to not care about that. And she, she put it to me, right? She was like, that's called roommates. Like if you're not having a sex life, that's your friend. Are you even friends? And I was like, I'm not that good of a friend either. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm not a wife or a partner if I'm not having sex, but like that literally is the difference, right? Between a friend. That's what she said to me. And I remember that's what caused the dissonance when she said, that's not a marriage, right? A marriage. The reason you pick that person and the, and the monogamy thing is because you're, having sex with that person. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> right. I think that's <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Whoops. And your husband had not just keeping with the personal experience piece of this, your husband had never sat down and said, Lori, you know, I know we got the little kids and everything, but this isn't working for me right now. Or had he, and had you, as you mentioned earlier, like this is me and my feminist stance and my body, and this is not to be discussed or how did that go? Oh, my husband is also a good feminist. I, I picked very well. <laughs> I, had him, I had him perfectly sexiled in the corner, ashamed of himself for even one, you know, ashamed for even mm. one bit. The whole thing, right? Like yeah. I, I, we agree, we were perfect mates in our agreement to keep it mediocre to terrible. So he, in the name of feminism, <laughs> in the name of feminism, right? He's, well, I mean, what guy wants to ask over and over again, or right? Or say that, and he didn't at the time. He didn't have the tools for that. I mean, now you should see us. But, <laughs> but <at the> time, <laughs> you know, we were in this perfect stalemate. 
And, you know, if you said, like, did he ever mention, you know, like, did I know he might want more? Sure, I knew. But it was really an off-limits topic. That's so powerful. And really, it's so impressive to hear that you were willing at that point when Lauren was holding a mirror up to you and saying, look at yourself. Is this really, is this really what you want? Is it that you had ears to hear it? And I do, it's such a, it, it is controversial in the sense that, now we've got this Me Too stuff, which is obviously, thank God, this stuff is coming to light. At the same time, I do worry that men are en masse being vilified. And certain men should be vilified because they're horrible. And then there are many, many great guys with a normal sex drive that should not be vilified. And it gets murky. Well put. Well put. Exactly. And it was, I, I even remember that moment where she challenged me and she really and this is something I tell my clients all the time. You're just three promises away from everything you ever wanted. And she really mm-hmm. looked me in the eyes. She goes, Lori, just start having sex with your husband again. You know, like, <laughs> start having sex. like just shut up. Right. Like it's, it's actually simple. She <laughs> it's actually simple light a candle. Right. And she said, light a candle, Karen, just light a candle. Mm. And then, and I was like, you idiot. You know, like what do you, what you mean light a candle? That's right. dumb. And then I decided that I was going to keep the promise to have sex once a week so I could save my marriage. And I lit a candle and lo and behold, we had, and it only took one or two times of having sex when I was like, oh my gosh, what have I been thinking? Like, why would I, why, why would I avoid such an easy fix to so many things that are wrong when it's right there in front of me, that simple and it, annoyingly simple, right? Because <laughs> I wanted to, well, let's go back to the time that I think I was abused. Let's go back to the, let's go back to all the unpleasant sexual experiences I've had. Let's go back to, let's figure out how to have an orgasm. Let's like, Lauren, what about how mad I am at, at him about these things? What about how mad he is about me, about things with me? Like, blah, 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 blah. like Lauren, there's a hundred right. things we have to deal with first in my heart and in my head. And she was like, mm, just light a candle once a week. Right? <laughs> just light a candle. Now, you know, now it's more, but at the time once a week was like, what? <laughs> You're like, I have things to do. No, you know what I had to do? I needed to take care of my kids, obviously, and do my job, which I'm sorry, it only takes, you know, 14 hours a day. And there's like a whole 12 hours your young children are sleeping. And what I needed to do was eat my face off and watch TV, quote unquote, needed to do. Right. Meanwhile, right, right. when I realized I could lose my marriage, I was like, well, maybe I could put 15 minutes into having a sex life. And that's all it takes, by the way, sometimes less. (laughs) (laughs) Controversial thing. It doesn't take that much time to bone. It doesn't. Or whatever your version is, right? I don't want to be too, you know, too specific because I think everyone has their own expression, but it doesn't, you know, I, I wanted to make it so complicated and she made it so simple. And then I watched everything change overnight, literally overnight. We think the behavior is going to come because we feel like doing it, right? We think it's, I'm going to feel this and then I'll want to behave in such a manner. And you were like, I have to unpack all this stuff. I've got this emotional, psychological baggage in this area that I need to unpack. And then when I work through it, you know, maybe six, seven years from now, I finally work through it all. Then I'll be ready to feel like having sex. And then I will behave in that way, following my feeling. And Lauren was like, yeah, no, you just behave and let everything else follow after. And we get that twisted so often. Yeah. I mean, it's not that we don't work on all of it because we do, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. not like I didn't do that work too and simultaneous and it was, it was helpful of course, but 
many, many, many spiritual practices and uh, brilliant teachers will explain to you, you must do the thing to learn the thing. You must take right. the action to change the feeling. And it's all a loop, right? Actions lead yes. to thoughts, leads to feelings, lead to actions. You could work on changing the thoughts, which will change the feelings, which will change the actions. Mm-hmm. Or you could work on changing the feelings, which will change the actions, which will change the thoughts. Or you could work on actions that will change the thoughts and change the feelings and change the results. We do all three. But we start with a real emphasis on action because it's just remarkable how it, <laughs> how it changes your mind, how it proves your theory is wrong. Well, and you alluded to the neural pathways. And so that's obviously a really very tangible, not for us in, in, because it's in our mind and we don't, in our brain rather, we don't see it, but it's a very tangible physiological way that we can go. If I behave, the neural pathways are reinforced, right? It's just why we get better at something when we do it over and over again. And so let me at least, if I can't right now, if if the, trying to tackle the feelings, if, if trying to intervene there seems too overwhelming or the thoughts seem so rigid and so limiting and I just don't even know how to challenge them, then let me do the thing, like you said, and let the, then you, you kickstart it. You, re, you really, on a neural level, you will start rewiring your brain such that all of a sudden those feelings are easier to feel and those thoughts that were so limiting, they've been rewired because the behaviors now, you're, you're doing this on a very concrete level, even though it seems a little bit nebulous because it's in our brain and we don't see that. But just to know that, I love this conversation. I did a, a podcast a couple years ago called Neuroplasticity is Your Superpower. And we don't understand it, but there's so much more research coming in that's helping us understand that wow, I can rewire my brain so that I can have that life and make it easier to feel these feelings and make it easier to think these thoughts because we think it's so hard. And really starting with a behavior is a great way to kickstart all of that. Exactly. Thank you for substantiating it with science. Because, you know, my mantra was, I had two mantras. My husband's an idiot and he doesn't care about me. I don't know if anyone can, you know, relate to that, but those were my... And I know a study that says, you know, 80% of our thoughts are negative and 95% repetitive. So I can tell you I had those on a loop and was collecting evidence for those. But it is very hard once you've been intimate with someone to entertain those kinds of thoughts. Yeah. So it actually canceled out, you know, like, and again, now now I'm at, I have the science of like, well, twice a week covers the whole week, right? If I have sex twice a week, then... <laughs> usually last, you know, like leading up to it, I have to behave. And then like two or three days after, right. So I can really cover handling my mind, right? Like if, if I do the activity, my mind then cooperates and doesn't entertain those terrible, you know, theories and thoughts that I was, I used to think were true. What did your husband do when you started lighting the candles, so to speak? Was he just like, what, huh? Am I allowed to be, be on board with this? Or is this going to go away? This, <laughs> this little phase for this. <laughs> I mean, we put it later. Um, well, it was it was actually part of a bigger conversation about overhauling the relationship that also came as a result of writing, you know, the love dream, not just the sex dream. Um, so mm-hmm. he was kind of he was clued into the fact that I realized, you know, that I was headed in the wrong direction, and that and there was one you know big fight actually where I was just such a such a jerk um, that he you know that I. I got the message like he, he really might not stay. And then he started flirting with my assistant. And then I, so all of that kind of woke me up. And so then I did accept coaching about it all. I did sit him down and tell him my dream. 
I did um, set the stage for him to tell me what wasn't working for him. And then it was in that context that I was like, okay, and now we have a new rule. We're having sex once a week. And he was fine with that. (laughs) He agreed. He agreed. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram, where I post original quotes, infographics, and I tackle trending topics in my love smarter, not harder IGTVs. On Insta, you can find me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Karen Anderson April and on Twitter at Dr. Karen Anderson. And you talk about with your relationship that you have a very, very hard, fast rule of utter honesty, honesty that I think many couples wouldn't feel comfortable with. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. The real issue for me was intimacy, not sex, right? Me, me withholding sex and withholding it for myself and for my husband wasn't ultimately about sex itself, right? It was about, do I want to reveal myself to this person? Do I want to really know this person? Do I want this person to really know me? Or do I just want to check the boxes, look good to the outside world and get through this life? So, you know, one of our modules in interview is all about lying because we believe, and again, I really think this is a special sauce about the handle method. We believe that lying is the biggest impediment to intimacy, to connection, to love, to sex, to all, really all of your dreams. Cause so many of your dreams are based on other humans. So the first level of telling the truth with my husband, well, the first level of telling the truth was to myself you know, what's my dream? What's my current reality? How, you know, what, what's really going on here? That was the first level of telling the truth. Then the second level of telling the truth was, here's what I really want. And then the next level of telling the truth was, what, what do you want? <laughs> let's, let's get our cards on the table. Are you willing to tell me? I promise I'll be nice. And then having that conversation, then we could make new rules and regulations and plans and promises and designs for how we run our life. And we, you know, eventually did that with everything, with our parenting, with our time management, with our money, with our everything. But sex was one of the first areas we tackled. And then it becomes maintenance, right? Truth-telling maintenance, um, (laughs) where it's like the day-to-day, you don't withhold something, you don't go to bed angry, you don't go to bed with a judgment. And also you get to go back in the past, like, oh, what do these people not know? You know, what does this person not know about me? So again, like, you know, we have this course, Inner You Love, where it's, it's designed for daters to get super clear on what they want, how to tell the truth in relationships, how to date. But I did it as a married person. And I believe that even married people should go through telling the truth about who they are in love and intimacy and go through that process of articulating it, sharing it with their partner, duking out the places where there might be, you know, um, differences obviously we coach you through talking about sex. We coach you about talking about all the areas you haven't been to, including what don't they know about your past? What don't they know about what you like? What don't they know? Like one year I was like, I told my husband all my fantasies. I literally wrote them down, like everyone I could think of that I'd ever had and read them to him. It was mortifying. (laughs) It was mortifying. Can you even imagine? Like that's the privatest thing I can think of. And I just, you know, I was like, I'm taking it up a notch. Like, why the heck not? I said, this is my person. You want to keep a marriage strong and hot? You tell them everything. Like, you make that person your person that's allowed to know everything about you. And if they're not safe to do that with, they might not be your person. 
it reminds me of uh, Brene Brown's work, of course, the vulnerability and just the power in vulnerability. The intimacy you had, you gave lip service to intimacy. Yeah, we sure. have a family, we're married, we have kids and this is, yeah, of course we're intimate. But when you really took a very, very cold, hard look at it, mm-hmm. there was an, an alarming lack of intimacy. Yeah. And one of the ways that you were able to cultivate it was to just be willing to be honest and vulnerable And I mean, I think that's really beautiful. I think, you know, when I think about some of my listeners who are dating, I think that's what they want. I mean, we all are craving, like you said, to find our person, that one person that we can just be completely 100% ourselves with and be seen for ourselves and honored and respected and understood. You know, a lot of my community, you know, I just want someone who gets me, right? Who gets me. But if we're not revealing who we actually are to each other... We can't even give them the opportunity to get us. That's what I always say. I say, you know, if you're not showing up, how do you expect to be loved? The reason you don't feel loved is because you're not there and you're not even there with yourself, right? Like that first, that literally the first assignment we give people is get intimate with yourself for two seconds even. How can you ever be intimate with someone else if you don't even know what you dream for? If you don't even admit your current reality? If you can't even give a rating on a scale of one to 10, that's honest. Right. And that's just the first module. <laughs> like, wow. Well, and I mean, it has to start there. And I know that that's almost a cliche in this space is you got to understand and know and love yourself first. Well, it's not that formulaic, but you know, I get so many questions too about this guy's doing this and I'm feeling this. And I'm thinking the more that you understand who you are, how you're wired, what works for you, the less you're going to be willing to tolerate. And like you said, to understand and be intimate with yourself and to honor and respect yourself, then all of a sudden that foolish behavior from some boy, you're going to be like, yeah, no, that doesn't. And it's not even going to be a big, difficult decision with angst. It's going to be like, yeah, no, that doesn't work for me next. Not that you're going to still, you'll have feelings. You'll be sad because the loss of the potential, the relationship and so forth. But it's just such a clarifying factor for all life. If we can just get clear about who we are and what we want. I couldn't really say it better than that. <laughs> we, we put it into the three H's, the head, the heart, and the hoo-ha, right? We, <laughs> we make you literally define, I just did this for, for a big webinar. We literally make you make your list like what, and tell the truth. And we question you, like, are you sure that's the thing, right? Are you sure? Yeah. You know, I used to think I needed uh, you know, to marry a Jewish guy. And it turned out I didn't need to marry a Jewish guy. I needed to marry a guy who would let me raise my kids very open-minded, liberal Jewish, right? Like that's, you know, it wasn't what I thought. Yeah. But I'm thinking again for the dating population, because I do have a lot of folks who say things like, I don't want to play games. So I think they're going to really resonate with this idea of just being very raw and authentic. At the same time, as we're dating and getting to know someone, we don't need to on the first date be, and here's me a hundred percent honest, open, here you go. Because that person hasn't earned our trust. They haven't earned the right to know our deepest intimate elements and parts of ourselves. So there's a bit of a process to my mind as we're getting to know someone that isn't game playing. It's still just protecting ourselves a little bit because until we know who someone is and if they're worthy of us sharing our innermost thoughts and feelings and dreams and desires, then I think it's it's not wise to share too much too soon. What do you think? Is that going to fly in the face of your model and your philosophy? Not really. I I think that's fair. And what we generally train our on-purpose daters to do is give yourself three very purposeful dates to get to the bottom of the most important things. 
and then we literally have you rate head, heart, and hoo-ha, right? Head is how practical is this person? Will this work with my life? You know, do they have kids? Do they want kids? Do they love dogs? Do they like, you know, do they like to travel? Yeah. And then the heart is the level of trust and connection and respect and admiration. And then the hoo-ha, you know, are, do you want to kiss them? Do you want to hook up? Yeah. So if the heart rating is not going up and up and up, no, you don't have to tell them everything or ask them everything, but then you're not going to have another date. Right. Okay. So we give you three dates to get each of those to an eight or above on a scale of one to 10. And you use, you're not, you're not just hanging out on your dates. If you're looking for your person, you're purposefully having conversations, designing fun conversations that will elicit the answers to the questions and the feelings that you want to, you know, will elicit being able to rate those people, right? Because you're asking, you know, what what went wrong in your last relationship? What do you think of your mother? How do you, what do you do on holidays? You know, you're asking fun and interesting questions that will obviously answer your head questions, but also get at your heart questions and whether you, whether this person wants to know the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But committing to not lying is not the same thing as saying everything you think as soon as you think it. Right. Right. If we did that, we'd, first of all, never stop talking. <laughs> we say a lot of things that, you know, are useless, harmful, and, you know, time-wasting. So to us, telling the truth, you know, quote-unquote telling the truth has to do with being honest and upfront about the most important things at the right time. I might not say on, on my first date, I, I have to take care of my mother with Alzheimer's, you know, and that's where I'm going to be for the next unforeseeable. I might wait till the second date or the third date, but I'm not going on a fourth date without telling that Mm -hmm. same thing about herpes, right? Like you're you're not getting in bed with someone before you talk about it. There are times, there are the appropriate and right times with integrity to bring out certain topics. What I'm loving from hearing what you're talking about is that it brings some concrete something to measure each date against rather than just going home and going, Oh, that was fun. You're asking them to, to be reflective and to what's my response to the conversation we had. How did that feel for me? How do I think about that? Does that seem like something that would work for me long-term instead of just kind of like, okay, cool. I guess we'll see each other again. It just provides an opportunity for some direct and tangible questions because otherwise it can all feel a little vague and the emotions can take over or you get in your head, but the stuff that's going on in your head isn't all that useful for really processing and making sense. Yeah. We're like MIT level nerdy. We, we, there's a chart <laughs> you're putting your ratings. There's a journal entry. One of our modules teaches you how to do, we call it the LSD journal, the love, sex and dating journal. So every date gets a journal entry because here's the problem, right? If you don't date on purpose, if you don't date like you mean it, just like you would train for a marathon or do a project at work, the default is going to be to prove your bad theories, your lineage-based theories and your history-based theories. That's the default. So you're actually, you're not just at a plateau, you're pulling yourself backward if you're not dating by design. I love it because it goes back to the confirmation bias because we're going to have that lens through which we view dating. And I hear it all the time. All guys are this and all guys are that. And I just try to encourage my community, come on, you can't think like that because then you're only going to see those guys. You've- and, and how does those guys feel, right? Think about that. That is right. the common culture. Guys suck. That's the common yeah. culture. We, we kill a whole gender. Like that is not good for us, people. We are no. a joint report card right now. 
Like if they're failing, we're fa- we're all failing. We can't we can't brand a whole community that way and then ask them to try harder and show up. It's not fair. It's like telling a kid they're an idiot and then asking right. why they don't you know try harder on their homework. Well, yeah, and then they all suck, but I want one. Why then? I mean, exactly. I'm telling well, you, the, other the subconscious thing, can't handle that kind of contradiction. Right. Or they want the, a guy, but then they don't want him to be a man, kind of hearkening back to what we talked about earlier, right? Where I want him to listen to me like a woman would listen. I want him to go shopping with me the way my girlfriends go shopping with me. I want him to talk about celebrity gossip and watch HGTV. Well, then you don't want a man. <laughs> and I want him to know my body better than I'm willing to get to know my body. Right. Oh, right. That's love. It's unfair and it's not loving and it's not, and it's not feminist also, by the way, it's not. I don't believe personally that true feminism is about male bashing. That's not the point. I don't believe that we elevate women just to disparage men. And that comes from my background of having a wonderful father and two older brothers and an amazing husband. And there's wonderful men out here. And I don't like, like you said, they're all labeled and branded and that's unfair and it's not loving. So if women think that we're so compassionate and kind and loving, these guys are such jerks. Really? Are we? Not with that rhetoric. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dan invented it because I kept burning my tongue on my black coffee. And then we realized the perfecter could do so much more. It's the only way to brew coffee or tea and then immediately ice it for iced coffee or iced tea without watering down the flavor. It also brings bourbon to a perfect chill, again, without diluting it or bruising the flavor notes. But my favorite application, wine. The Perfector takes your room temperature red to the recommended low 60s in just 20 seconds. And as a bonus, the Perfector aerates your vintage as well. Check out all the Perfectors applications, including bringing white wine to its most flavorful temperature at drinkperfection.com. Love and Life listeners can use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 20% off your Perfector. Lori, what do you say when they say, you know, all guys want is they're, they're so comfortable with this. It's complicated situationships and I can never get them to actually commit. Well, <laughs> funny you should ask. We have talked about this a lot. So the concept of the three ages, once you go through that, you, you really have your set of questions you need to ask and answer. Some you're going to ask directly, some you're going to ask indirectly. We also need you by the third date to determine whether or not you want the same things. Now, I want to, and that's a specific question. Where are you at about dating? Are you looking for the one or just having fun? Are you flinging or real thinging? However you want to put it. There really are two camps and we are in such denial about this, okay? There's like sexless marriages and sexy marriages. There's flinging and there's real thinging. There are two camps. And I believe if a person is free enough to be honest with themselves, they can tell the truth about which they want. And by the way, I'm talking to women too. I'm talking to all genders here. I know the stereotype is women want the commitment and men want the the fling. It's, it's just not true. We live in a day and age now where everything is up for grabs in terms of gender roles, gender itself, sexuality, polyamory, all of the things. Okay. So it is just too close-minded to think you even know what you want. If you're listening right now, I dare you to reconsider for a moment, would you maybe be happier in a fling as long as it's a responsible fling where you're learning something and you're honest? Hmm. So 
we should all lighten up about the fact that there are two camps. <laughs> we should all get <laughs> curious and very non-judgmental about those camps. We should all put it in our dating profiles, please, if possible. And by the third date, you should have no expectation that someone wants to commit. You should have no expectation that they're only dating you. You should have no expectation about whether they're looking for monogamy or not. And you should be very crystal clear for yourself what you're looking for. And you will design a conversation on that third date to make it utterly safe for them to tell you where they're at. And people will tell you the truth if you are ready to hear it and you're open and you're playful and they're not going to get in trouble and it's only the third date. So if you have got to say, sorry, that's not what I'm looking for. Let's abort the mission. You're not so attached. You haven't had sex with them yet. If you play by our rules, it's like, oh, right. I went to the store. I picked out the three dresses I love. I went to the dressing room. But then when I tried that one on, the zipper didn't work. So I put it back on the rack. <laughs> I didn't take it home with me. So we say by the third date, you have the conversation and you find out if the person is in that same place as you are and do not proceed if you're in two different places. There's so much good stuff there. First of all, I'm always encouraging my community that dating is gathering information. And my dad used to say, hey, you go to the store, you try on a pair of pants. It doesn't fit. Nothing wrong with the pants. Nothing wrong with you. Just not a fit, right? And we take it so personally. We just, we internalize rejection. And I'm always, again, trying to encourage, you know, every rejection is just getting you one step closer to the right one. So I want to also highlight, you talk about no expectations, and I think people get expectations and standards confused sometimes. Mm. I'm with you. Have low expectations early on and high standards, and those are not mutually exclusive. Nice distinction. Yeah. Because you want to have your standards so that you understand. And again, it goes back to who I am, what I want, what is for me, what's a good fit for me. And not to settle at all. At the same time, when we're just getting to know someone, we can't expect anything. We don't know them yet to have these expectations. But I also love that you have a three-date plan in place so that people who are, like you said, dating on purpose and trying to be real intentional can get to the information they need, gather that information quickly enough so that they don't have to waste their time or anyone else's time. But having structure to the dating process, which feels so chaotic and uncertain and nebulous, I think the structure alone can be so enlightening and clarifying and also make the process feel less scary and more secure in the midst of it. It literally is. It's for your security, right? It's so you don't have another heartbreak and confirm your fat theory again. And you, you can probably speak to this, but what we found is that the three-date threshold is really smart and important because at a certain point, once you invest in a stock, you don't want to get out of that stock, right? You right. want to even if you see something bad going on in the company. So we really encourage you to front load that you know investigation because one, once you have sex and or once you get in too deep, you will ignore evidence that you need to pay attention to. And we, of course, one of the most popular clients we have is those divorced clients who come and they're trying to heal from their divorce. And they always say they knew what it was going to be that was going to break them up. Nobody's actually surprised because you knew. You knew on date two, but you just didn't want to, you know, then you put in seven dates and you needed them to come to a wedding with you. And then now here we are. And that's really your only choice. And you end up with a person that shouldn't have been your person, even after day two. Oh my gosh. I'm just right. thinking about, <laughs> I just anthrop- 
I just answered a question today. I do Q and A's on my IGTV and there was a woman and she's been with someone for two years. And I had the sense that there was some of that where there were some real clear differences in what they want and how they want to treat each other. And, but you know, I'm two years in, especially when you're younger, like 20 to 22 is a lot of your life. I mean, when you get to be 45 to 47, maybe those two years, you can kind of go, "Mm, okay, also I'm old enough, wise enough to realize that two years is not wasted. I learned something from it and better to cut my losses at two years than to spend 20 and then have to cut losses. So I love that because it really is providing a more secure approach to this dating landscape, which just feels, like I said, it just feels overwhelming at times. And and people feel rejected and rejected, and then they're swiping, 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 and it's just exhausting. And so I love what you're providing. Tell them a little bit more about, is it inner you love? That's what they would, yeah. those on the dating scene, that's what they would sign up for? Yeah. I would really recommend inner you love to anybody. It's It will give you all the tools you need to avoid heartbreak at any stage that you're in, right? Whether you're dating, whether you're in a new relationship or whether you're in a long-term relationship, it covers everything from literally how to vet on the sites to how to keep a marriage hot over time, how to divide the labor up in a marriage, right? So it's like really soup to nuts, everything. That's great. Anything else where people can find you, follow you, learn more and yeah, take advantage of any of the freebies and the perks that you guys roll out from time to time. Um, I would actually recommend folks follow me on Instagram. Lori Gerber underscore coach is the way to do that. InnerU.coach. It's literally I-N-N-E-R, the letter U, dot C-O-A-C-H. I assume it will be in the show notes with your discount code. So if you go to that website, uh, there may even be a special link for you guys. But if you go to that website and you put in the love ampersand life 75, you will be entitled to whatever the best discounts are at the time. That's fantastic. Thank you, Lori. I've so enjoyed our conversation. I think there's so much here for, like you said, people in the dating scene, people who want to level up their marriage. There's just a lot of great wisdom here. And I love that it's very structured and concrete and it was based in research and all that nerdy stuff that I really geek out on. So thanks, Lori, for your time. We're, the, we're in the same camp. If you're going to teach at MIT <laughs> and Stanford, you got to back it up with research. You can't just... Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Awesome, Karen. Thank you so much for giving me a chance to talk about this stuff. You bet. I've enjoyed it. The love and life hack for this week is, I got to steal Lori's three H's. Head, heart, and hoo-ha. Lori calls them the three H's, but they're not so dissimilar from Dr. Robert Sternberg's theory of love, where we have that passion, that intimacy, and that commitment. We need those three prongs in place to truly thrive in our love relationships. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. As always, it's been such a pleasure spending time with you this week. Be sure you've signed up for my newsletter. When you join the Love and Life family, you're the first to know about everything going down in the Love and Life community. Also, an extra big thank you to all of you who've reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That helps others find us. It really means so much to me. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.